Nine o'clock. We appreciate you joining us, Jim and Cake, today. He's in for Buckeye the rest of the week. It's Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. The good, the bad, the ugly. The Bills and how they played yesterday at home. In the snow. I mean, in their environment, right? Oh, yeah. Cincinnati goes in and gets the win to get to the AFC Championship game for a second straight year. How about Kansas? After losing to Kansas State last week, Kansas falls to number 14 TCU. Oh, boy. For Kansas, their worst home loss in two years. And one of the worst losses in Bill Self's 20-year career. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're your defending national champions. Well, there you are then. Anything on your list? Uh, did you see the video of Joe Burrow pregame warm-up where he throws the ball, does the 360, they do it like slow-mo, and he's just like... It's one of those where you, you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, there's no way the Bills are winning that game. After you see that clip, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that, there's no way. Ugly Cowboys with that incredible defense. Yeah, Dak Prescott with a couple of bad picks. And I have to sit here and look at Stephen A. Smith on the TV screen. Ugh. Gloating over the Cowboys losing. Which, Did you hear that they're... Uh, I mean, I'm no Cowboys fan. No. I've been accused of that in the past. Chokingly. Goes back many years. From who? Buckeye made that comment. When oh. He's got the clip about... Because I, I I I've said something about the Cowboys and all of a sudden... The pile thought that I was this big Cowboys fan. I've never been a big Cowboys fan. I don't hate him. Roger Staubach, I always had a lot of respect. A lot of guys, Tony Dorsett. But, but yeah, uh, Stephen A. is reveling in the Cowboys' misery. He has shot, a fr- shot and freuding it up today. See, we know you don't love the Cowboys. We know who you do love. I love Steve DeBerg. He doesn't. The man had... The sweetest Jerry Curl you could possibly have back in the day. The dreaminess of Steve DeBerg. Good-looking man. Like uh, Central Casting could be your quarterback. He at least didn't. He knew to line up behind center. John Elway, rookie year. Line up behind the guard. He did not do that. I would say, though, the careers went... Just a little differently. Went a little bit differently. Yeah, just a little bit differently. Different paths in yes, life. exactly. All right, 903. And uh, so if you've got something that makes the list today, the good, the bad, the ugly, text or call us 970-242-1340. So it was a very good Friday for both Colorado Mesa basketball teams. Both teams going into Fort Lewis, both getting wins against the Skyhawks. And for the Maverick men, taking down the number 12 team in the nation. Mavericks have now won 10 straight, by the way. Trevor Baskin to the big game, 17 points, 15 rebounds. Blaze Threat, who has just named the Armac Offensive Player of the Week. 21 points on 10 of 16 shooting. Reese Johnson had a good game, 12 points. Mac Rineker, as he normally does, kind of fill up stat sheet, 11.7 rebounds to lead the Mavericks in a 75 to 68 win. And so they've now won 10 straight. Maverick men are 10 and 2. They're 15 and 3 overall. It got a little close at the end there. Uh, the Mavericks started to kind of let Fort Lewis back 
They made some clutch threes. You're going, oh, boy. But they held them off. They got the win. It was a good win. It, that's that's a win that you need to elevate your status. That's a you know number 12-ranked Fort Lewis team in a RMAC conference that has only Fort Lewis, Black Hill State, Colorado Mines. <laughs> You know, the rest of that, I mean, there's other teams, too, that ain't no spring chicken either, so. Well, and Akul Cot, who, well, the top scorers, I believe, top score in the conference, nation's second-leading scorer, he had 22 points, but he'd been averaging 24.4, so, you know, it wasn't a lot, but then Mavericks held him under a scoring average, which was really good, but you mentioned it got down, the league got down to three, uh, with Mac Rineker and Trevor Baskin each getting a pair of free throws, that, that iced the game. So uh, after the game, you were here running it for us at the uh, team sports desk. Yep. You had the chance to talk with uh, Maverick men's basketball coach, assistant coach Kyle Boucher about the CMU win, their 10th straight victory. Your team playing loud and clear got a little tight at the end, a little, little close for comfort there at the end there, uh, but your team ultimately coming away with a victory tonight. Just tell me how important this win means for your basketball team tonight going up against uh, the number 12th ranked team, uh, Fort Lewis, a, a, a top 25 opponent. How important was this win tonight for your basketball team? Yeah, I mean, it was huge. And to say it was a little tight, that is that is an understatement. We'd be lying to you if we weren't admitting that the coaching staff had some uh, sweat in their glands there at the very end. But, um, man, we knew that was going to be a big one heading into it. We knew this was going to be the toughest stretch of our regular season, playing on the road, a few of the top teams during that stretch. It was an awesome environment. It was a fantastic game, and what a sweet one for us to win. I think it says something about your basketball team tonight that you had the lead for, of 40 total minutes, you had the lead 39 minutes, 58 seconds. You oh, got, wow. You got right out of the gate with Blaze Street with the early two-pointer. Blaze had a great night tonight. Talk to me about his performance for you. Yeah, we got hot out of the gate, and for a second there, it looked like we were going to make every single three-point shot we took. And, um, you know, for those of you watching at home, I think the fans noticed that, you know, the Fort Lewis game plan was, was built to stop Blaze. And, you know, they were denying him all over the court, face guarding him, doing whatever they could to try to not let him get the ball. And then when he got into position to make plays, they threw a lot of different coverages at him, tried to mix up what they were doing. So for him to come out of that with a line of 10 for 16, 21 points, I mean, that's just a credit to his talent and how much of an unstoppable force he's, he's become out there. I mean, he's the, he's the main focus of the opponent's game plan every night, and he certainly uh, tonight was no exception. Your team tonight shooting just under 51% from the floor, and you held them to 36.5%. Defensively, it seemed like, particularly in the first half, you guys were really strong. Maybe started to break a little bit at the end there, but ultimately your defense was uh, solid tonight. Yeah, we were really proud of how the boys defended for the first 30 minutes, and be honest i mean fort lewis has some extremely talented players especially on the offensive end and you know we could only hold them down for so long and they started making that surge at the very end but also credit to our guys we were able to stay poised and and not some let some of those tough shots rattle us and we hung in there and made some tough shots of our own rebounding tonight for your team a total of 44 and then 27 for fort lewis tonight so you are rebound them by a pretty wide margin there uh talk to me about getting off the glass tonight for your basketball team what <laughs> I mean, that had to be the key to the game. I mean, yeah, we turned it over 24 times. So we were negative 14 in the turnover category, which means you got to make up that possession battle somewhere else. 
and we're fortunate enough to do that on the rebounding end. Looks like we were plus 14 on the rebounds. So there it is, evened up the possessions right there with the glass. You know, I mean, it started with Trevor Baskin. He was an absolute monster. Um, Fort Lewis has some big, strong players on the team, and Trevor's athletic, but he is a little thin, and he used all his heart and might to go get those rebounds, and every single one of them was huge for us. And uh, Baskin tonight with the double-double, 15 boards for you. That is outstanding. 17 points as well for him tonight. And uh, you get a couple of days off. You get uh, Tuesday to go to Westminster, so you get a little bit of a weekend here. You got a 10-game win streak going here at a time when, you know, now things are starting to get pretty serious. You only got a few weeks left, but this is a a weekend where your team can just kind of get some rest, take a couple days, and then you get ready for Tuesday. Yeah, we definitely got to take a day off, rest some tired legs, especially from the travel. And uh, just like Coach said, just now to the team in the post-game huddle, look, I mean, Tuesday is going to be a huge game for us. It'd be real easy for an immature team to overlook that game on the road, you know, to let the legs and, you know, mental fatigue catch up to us. But a mentally tough team would understand how important that game on Tuesday is. And we knew this, uh, this uh, little stretch in our season of road games was going to be tough, and we got to finish it all the way through. And that includes through Friday when we head up to Gunnison. But one game at a time, we'll rest, and we'll be ready, and we've got to be tough on Tuesday. Taking a bit of a road warrior uh, mentality, I take it, yeah? That's right. The great thing about uh, college basketball, though, is every game you play on the road, you get to play at home. So there you go. <laughs> once we're done with this stretch, we'll be happy to be coming home to Bronson. All right, there's Kyle Boucher talking with uh, Tyler after the game on Friday night. So for the Maverick women, they were also victorious. They wanted Fort Lewis 61-48. to Olivia Reed, 26 minutes of action. Boy, great from the field. 8 of 11 from the field. She had 16 points, 4 rebounds, and 3 block shots in the win. So the Maverick women, they uh, improved to 7-11 overall, 6-6 six six in RMAC play with a 61-48 to victory. And after the game, Tyler talked with Colorado Mesa women's assistant coach, Hannah Pollard. All right, coach, let's talk about this uh, win tonight for your basketball team. Let's start in the first half. Uh, a couple of things that I noticed in terms of uh, some differences, your team in the first half had some early foul troubles. You had uh, one player, I believe, foul out. I believe it was Lauren Didi. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But the second half, it seemed like your team really cut back on the fouls, started to play a little bit better defensively. What was the message in the locker room at the end of the first half to get your team to have a much better second half than you did the first half? Well, we, I mean, we told them all week, it's, this is a tough place to come play. And it usually is a high foul count, so we tried to prepare them, and it, it took us a half to adjust. Um, so our biggest thing was to keep them out of the paint and keep them off the free throw line. Um, obviously, we didn't do a great job of that. They shot 25 free throws, but we did adjust and do a better job in the second half, which was huge, especially that third quarter. And now the good news was is even though you weren't able to kind of keep them out of that free throw line, uh, that was really, for at least the first half, seemed like they're only scoring, so your defense tonight doing uh, I think a really good job. Talk to me about your defensive, uh, your team's defensive performance tonight. What did you see from them? Uh, how do you feel like your your team's defense performed on the floor tonight? Yeah, I mean, we for two two different quarters, the first and the third, we held them other ten under ten, and we kind of believe if we can do that, we can win a ball game for sure. Um, so did a good job. I didn't. I don't think we uh, finished out the fourth quarter um, as well as we could have, but. We adjusted, you know, they don't shoot the three ball well. We did our best to keep them in front. And, again, like I said, in that second half, did a better job of keeping them off the foul line, which was huge. But I think we're getting better better every game at defense, and hopefully um, 
just keep going up that way and playing our best defense at the end of the season. So. One of the numbers that uh, highlights the defensive performance tonight, rebounding your team out, rebounding them 42-30. to 30. You each had nine rebounds offensively. Defensively, though, your team getting uh, off the glass 33 times to only 21 uh, for the Skyhawks. So uh, a good a good job tonight rebounding for your basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I, especially when they don't shoot a lot of threes and we still were able to get in um, and get stuff when they were finishing at the rim. That was huge, and we balanced it out. I mean, Tia had nine, Mon had nine, um, everybody else had quite a few, and so that's fun to see that everybody's crashing and taking part of that and um, valuing that rebounds are a big point to winning. So, Olivia Reed tonight with 16 leading your scoring tonight. I think it's pretty safe to say she's established her role as the scoring type for your basketball team. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, she just does a great job finishing, and um, the girls are doing a better job finding her, and tonight was her night, and she did what she needed to do, so um, we'll take it. (laughs) I'm sure you will, and uh, you got uh, a little bit of a a nice weekend off to kind of recover. You got some traveling to do, heading out west to Westminster on Tuesday, and we'll have that game here on the Team Sports Network, but uh, you got to get a couple of days off. What's going to be the message to your team as they get this weekend off to get some rest and uh, get ready for Tuesday. Yeah, and that'll be it, just preparing for Tuesday. I mean, enjoy the win tonight, and then tomorrow we go to work again. And just um, in practice, and then also making sure we're doing our job watching film and everything else, so we're very prepared. Uh, That's another tough place to go in and play, and we'd love to go steal another win on the road. All right, that's Hannah Pollard. Tyler had the chance to talk with her after Friday night's win at Fort Lewis. Both Maverick basketball teams at Westminster tomorrow night taking on the Griffins. Women's pregame at 4.45. They tip it at 5 minutes, 7 o'clock tomorrow night on the team CMU Sports Network. See if the Maverick men can win their 11th straight on the road when they go to Westminster tomorrow night. All right, coming up, we'll take a look back at the high school sports weekend. Latest on the NFL. A little more around the NFL, if you will, here in the uh, 9 o'clock hour that uh, not only is Zach Stevens, DNVR, reporting that Sean Payton will have a second interview with the Broncos, Jeff Duncan of the New Orleans Times-Picune reports that uh, Sean Payton will have a second interview with the Broncos on Wednesday. And it's the first report of a candidate getting a second interview with the Broncos that uh, Mike Kliss of KUSA reported late last week that the plan was to have one to three finalists back for further conversations. So Broncos talked with Dallas defensive coordinator Dan Quinn on Friday. They spoke with Ajira Vero, Broncos current defensive coordinator, former Lions head coach Jim Caldwell, former Stanford head coach David Shaw, Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris, 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans, and then, of course, interviewed Jim Harbaugh, but then Harbaugh withdrew his name, and he is staying at Michigan. And uh, there are reports. This is coming from the Mile High Huddle, which is a Sports Illustrated Broncos blog Mm -hmm. that David Shaw has gained a lot of traction as a possible sleeper candidate because he's a pro style guy at Stanford nine year assistant with the with the Eagles the Raiders and Baltimore and so according to Mike Kliss Broncos unofficial mouthpiece with nine news that David Shaw has uh, garnered some attention likewise we mentioned Jerry Rosberg Broncos interim coach that Jerry Rosberg set down with the Broncos brass, kind of like into the season review, exit interview kind of thing. Right. And that they are supposedly, according to the report, considering Jerry Rosberg possibly 
as a head coaching candidate. And I mean, I get the exit interview goes long and you have long conversations because I think, I think Greg Penner is coming into this with little to no football knowledge. But he is the owner, and it is his job to find a head coach. And he probably feels that with George Payton, hiring Nathaniel Hackett was probably, I mean, we let's we know it was a mistake. And George Payton, I think, knows it was a mistake. And so Greg Penner is coming at this with, I don't know much about what goes into these football coaching searches. But I know that the guy that is our general manager hired our last head coach, and he flamed out in 16 weeks. So with Jerry Rossberg, who had a one-and-one record as the Broncos' interim head coach and who has a lot of coaching experience as a specialist and who ultimately helped turn the Broncos around a little bit at the very end, I think he wants that kind of knowledge, that kind of information. So I'm not necessarily surprised that the interview, the exit interview lasted as long as it did because I think Greg Penner is just trying to get as much information as he can. And maybe at some point in the conversation, he was like, hey, you don't want the job, right? And then maybe it was, eh, well, you know. Maybe what could have been a very tongue-in-cheek comment was actually taken seriously by Jerry Rosberg. I don't know. I wasn't there at that meeting. Well, nor was I, so I, I, I didn't get the it been, it cool. I didn't get the evite to to attend. Uh, Mike Sando on the Athletic, he's talked to GMs and folks around the National Football League to get their thoughts about of the the teams that are looking for coaches right now. And this has a lot to do with with Sean Payton, right? And kind of rating them in terms of what what's attractive, what's not attractive about the teams, the five teams that are looking for a head coach at the moment. So we'll, you're not look, you're not looking at the article, are you? Nope. Okay, so I'm gonna, we'll play a little guessing game here. All right. I get to be Alex Trebek and seem really smart because I get to look, <laughs> look at this in front of me. Five teams right now. Five which, teams. Which one's number five? For interest. Least attractive to most attractive. In terms of just head coaching vacancies. Of, of like why somebody would want to go there or not go to a particular franchise. I'm going to say number five would be the Houston Texans. That would be incorrect. Really? The Arizona Cardinals, older roster, the Kyler Murray contract injury situation. Fair. And one of the points they make about in this article is that quarterbacks that are under contract, the, well, the two that are in this group, Mm. Once upon a time, that would have been a very attractive thing to have your your quarterback under contract for a for a long time. Right. Maybe not the case anymore. Particularly with the underproduction of one of those. Well, not that Kyler Murray lit the world on fire this season either before he got hurt. So they have Arizona number five. Number four. Would that be the Houston Texans? No. What? That would be your favorite team and my favorite team, the Denver Broncos. Okay. It's about Denver has the best tradition, and the new owners seem aggressive and willing to spend. But the feeling is that Russell Wilson's better days are behind him. This is folks in the league with their their opinion. And the lack of draft capital is holding them back. The defense is very good, but Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert aren't going anywhere in that division. 
again, so, these are fair, but eventually, and I'm just going to keep guessing the Texans at this point until we get it right. Okay, well. Because that is a horrible job. I mean, they, they said it right there. They like the ownership. But they, they have don't, a lot of money. But they don't like Wilson where he is where he is in his career right now. And that, you know, what, what coaches saw from Russell Wilson last year may turn them off on wanting the job. That the Walmart money is a draw, and the leadership did say the next coach could report directly to ownership. But this is from the, the Athletic article. There's no getting around the massive long-term extension with Wilson and the diminished draft capital. Okay. Number three is going to be Texans again. Why not? Is it the Texans? No, it's not. You have got to be kidding me. Indianapolis. Okay, that's a bad one. Put Indy third in a winnable division on a solid roster that could bounce back if they hit if they hit on the head coach and the quarterback. The owner needs to step back and let football people operate. They're right about that. Jim Ursay with you. I got We got to have Jeff Saturday step in here and and telling Frank Reich who he should bench. Okay, so Matt Ryan. That you know, undercutting his former head coach and and the current GM Chris Ballard, it's not good. Jim Irsay needs to stop being Dan Snyder. Sit back, let your football people do the work. Number two, you gotta you gotta you gotta guess them again. Is it the Houston Texans? No, it's the Carolina Panthers. So you're telling me that the Texans are the most attractive coaching. Of, Are of, they out of their minds? Well, I'll, I'll explain in a moment why right. why they feel that way. All right, so number two is the Panthers. Best young roster of the group. Okay. You know, put them right behind Houston since Houston has a clear path towards landing a franchise quarterback with all their draft capital. The division is winnable. It's true. The NFC South is, particularly if Brady leaves, it's a winnable division. There is some concern that David Tepper isn't Jim Ursay yet, but boy, he sure would like to be. He would sure like to stick his nose into stuff. And a guy that doesn't have, I mean, he's a hedge fund guy, doesn't have a ton of football experience. So, yes, number, you're going to guess number, going to guess Texans up for number one in this one? Is it the Houston you Texans? You are right, sir. You are right. Congratulations. So, okay, please enlighten me, dear The Athletic. Why on God's green and blue earth? And this is, is from the, people from around the league. Why National Football League insiders contributing to this article? Why, pray tell, do you feel that the Houston dumpster fire Texans are the most attractive head coaching destination in 2023? Please, I would love because they got this. a buttload for Deshaun Watson. They, they play in a division that's very winnable. Okay. Jalen Petrie, Damian Pierce, who came on as a running back this year, Derek Stingley, young, talented players that that they have they have a path to drafting one of the young quarterbacks this year. Okay. Cal McNair is has a little bit of willingness to spend. He doesn't seem to want to get involved in football operations too much. If you know if they hire the right people, Nick Casario, we'll, we'll see where it goes with him as the GM. But yeah, they've also fired coaches now, David Culley and Lovey Smith, 
one year and done. One, they've they've gone they've gone Broncos here. Mm-hmm. One and done guys, back to back years. And so, there are things though about Houston where are they ready to win now? No. Could they be really good though in a short span of time? Yes. And so that's why they rank Houston as the probably the best situation to step into. Uh, okay. I understand what they're saying there. Well, okay, but the the thing that sort of miffs me a little bit is number one, as we pointed out, they fired one and done head coaches the last two years in a row. Number two, sure they're on the path to drafting a potential top quarterback. How they got to that path was because they stunk. But they could not stink with the right coach and the right quarterback fairly quickly. But, but so that's going to be part of the part of the thing for me is if I'm a head coach and I've got a rookie quarterback, not only am I going to have to be a head coach for what ostensibly would be the first time in my career if I get this job, because I'm assuming they're not in the Sean Payton uh Dan Quinn drawing. Well, they they have talked with Sean Payton, so they they, they've, they've had an interview with him. I believe it was a virtual interview. But I mean, they, they've got the overall number one pick right now. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The Bears have the number one pick. Excuse me. They have the number but, two pick, and they have the number two pick. I'm sorry. Looking at here, this is with a mock draft where they trade with the Bears for the number one pick. But they they got a shot at getting Bryce Young. Because even if the Bears don't trade back, which, see, the Texans could very well make a deal because they've got the draft capital now. They could make a deal with the Bears to move up to number one to ensure whether it's Bryce Young, most likely, possibly C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis. But it's going to be it's going to be Bryce Young. I mean, come on, right? It's going to be it's going to be the Alabama quarterback. They could that way they can ensure they're going to get their guy. Now it does not look like the Bears have any interest in any of those quarterbacks because they have Justin Fields and they're still ready to to roll with Justin Fields. So they're going to have their choice of quarterback, and they're still going to have picks to work with. And they're in a division that it's it's not the AFC West. There's no while Trevor Lawrence has played well this year, the AFC South is wide open. There's no Mahomes, there's no Herbert, or whoever it's going to be in Las Vegas, Brady, whatever. Right. From that standpoint, I understand, as a fan, you feel hurt. You feel like <laughs> they, they don't think our football team's worth it. I understand, though, if you're a coach walking in, there's a lot to like about the Houston job at the moment. Not not necessarily maybe in 2023, but in 2024, you've got a young roster. You get Bryce Young. You add some pieces. Houston in a division that's very soft. Tennessee looks like they're on the decline now. That you you could, as my late pappy would say, make hay while the sun is out. You could do quite nicely in that division very, very quickly. And if you're a coach, that's what it's all about. It's like, how soon can I win? AFC West, Denver's going to be tough. That's going to be a challenge. You've got 
you know, two of the best quarterbacks in the league, you've got to get past twice a season against each of those guys. And who knows what happens with the Raiders, what where that's going to go. Right. I, I get it from that standpoint. I totally get it. So we'll see what um, what happens. But you know, they view other opportunities. Mean, Colts, same deal. They're in the South. They're a quarterback and a head coach away from probably being a pretty good football team. Although they were a head coach and a quarterback away from being a really good football team they, in the last they were. four years. And they're good and they need Jim Ursay to stay out of it. Look, Carolina, kind of a similar deal. Get you get the right quarterback. That defense with Brian Burns and company is really good. They've got some skill guys forming at the running back spot is is emerged as a, a real star. That you you go to Carolina playing in the NFC South. Like the two South divisions are soft. They're doughy soft. Yeah. And it could work work pretty well if you're Sean Payton or whoever ends up getting one of those jobs. All right. 929. Jim along with Cake today. So like the latest Sean Payton expected to have a second interview with the Broncos on Wednesday. Have not heard anything about any of the other candidates just yet. In terms of, it looks like they'll probably get down to three. It's the thing I keep reading. So we'll see what happens. We will see. All right, I, I should have probably used this for good call, bad call. Got one more thing I want to talk about here before we take a break. Okay. We almost had a neutral site AFC championship game. Almost. Lamar Hunt, owner of the Chiefs, years and years ago, proposed neutral site conference championship games. And it's been something that's been considered for years, always rejected until, look, because of what happened with Buffalo and Cincinnati, that led to this decision to have a neutral site championship game if Buffalo happened to to get into the AFC championship game. They sold it out in a hurry. And the NFL made sure that you knew they sold it out in a hurry. And one of the things that Lamar Hunt was always lobbying for about why a neutral site championship game, because it ha- it would have like a collegiate feel, like you'd have fans from both teams, equal numbers, like a college bowl game. And it would provide a different environment than what you normally see in an NFL game, which is predominantly home fans. Right. Even though we've seen at times, even over at Empowerfield a mile high, Lots of fans from other teams, but it's never been a 50-50 kind of situation like it would have been in Atlanta if the Bills had won. Right. And so, look, there's there's some, there's some a motivation behind why the NFL, hey, look how quickly we sold this thing out. They're setting the stage for down the road to get 24 of the owners to agree to a neutral site game for both the AFC and NFC championship. Don't be, don't be shocked to see they get cities to bid on it like they do for the Super Bowl. You know, it doesn't mean as much to be the number one seed if now you're you're going to be playing at a neutral site in your conference championship game. Right. Because at that point, it's almost irrelevant. I still prefer it the way it is. But don't be shocked that within the next year or two, because they this was a this is a little bit of a dry run to see what the interest would be. And the interest was. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I will counter this 
with the how can you guarantee it being a neutral site? Because like the Super Bowl the last two years, the Rams were in L.A. when they won it. The Buccaneers were in Tampa when they won it. Same deal. You can't guarantee it. So then what's the point of it making neutral if you can't guarantee it? Cities will bid for it. Like the Super Bowl, though. You're, You're hoping to get there. Same with the conference championship game. You hope to get there. There's no guarantee that you'll get there. You bid you bid on it. And say if you're Denver. Say if you're Denver and you get the AFC championship game. Which would be and, cool. And the Broncos don't get there. You're still going to get fans coming in, spending money in Denver to be at the AFC championship game. And traffic. And tra- but in traffic, or thank goodness we don't have to worry about that living over here. You're you're still going to generate revenue in that city, right? Like you do at the Super Bowl. I, I think it's they're going to take the same approach. At hey, if you win and you get there and you get to host, awesome! Like the Super Bowl for the Rams and Bucks. Good for you. It'll be they'll approach it the same way they do at the Super Bowl. There's no way you can guarantee a neutral, completely total neutral site unless you're going to play in Germany or London. Then you could. How well is that going to look? <laughs> not great. But then again, the NFL, the, you know, with, with the international games, which have not been well received by a lot of fans, including this guy. Because we send the worst teams. No, I just, don't, I just don't think we need to play that many international games. I don't. I, I get why they do it. I understand why. It's, a, it's marketing to places like Germany where they, they do have semi-pro leagues and there have been players that have come from from international right. you know, some of those international leagues I get that London American football is popular there because we've had games there Mexico City I, I get it I don't like it but I understand the reason why they feel like it's beneficial but fans have not been thrilled about it and what has the NFL done they've just added more games they don't. They don't care what you think about it. It's the almighty dollar. It's not the money. They don't care because guess what? You're still going to watch, especially if it's your I, team. I, I, once again, I go back to the whole thing of remember when with with kneeling and some of the things that went on. Oh, the NFL's killing itself. Nobody will watch anymore. Nobody's going to watch it anymore. This year, the best average game attendance in six years. So much of the NFL killing itself with, with things that had happened. Yeah. Either things that involved protesting, social justice, or in the case of doing things fans don't like, like playing more international games. They know you're still going to watch the AFC and NFC championship games regardless where they're played. Don't be surprised to see them do this. This was a test run. And they liked what they saw in terms of reaction to it from t- fans buying tickets. And that's why they put the numbers out to say, see, this would be supported. Uh-huh. And don't be surprised to see Lamar Hunt get his wish, posthumously, for Lamar Hunt, that that may very well happen. That you're going to see neutral site conference championship games in the near future. Got some thoughts on that today. Send it to us, 936 Jim along with Cake from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, most trusted name in automobiles. We'll take a break. We'll come back, look back at the high school weekend. Also some garbage time on the way as well. And this day in sports history. That's straight ahead on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. 
They need a wake-up call. Call or text the Jim Davis Show on the Chick-fil-A team line. 970-242-1340. Welcome back. Jim along with Cake today, the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. What's your thoughts about neutral site conference championship games? I think it stinks if you're the number one seed. It it definitely devalues it to a certain degree. I I I, I get why the NFL wants to do it. Once again, it's kind of like the international games. It's about money. It's what they feel is is exposure for the international games with playing the conference championship games. It's, hey, cities are going to bid for this. They're going to bid for it like they want the draft, which will be in Kansas City this year. Or, or cities will bid for the Super Bowl. Cities, teams will bid to host conference championship games. It's And so it's another... Another revenue source. So we have a text in from an unnamed texter who has proposed an idea, an interesting idea. Okay. Says, just my opinion, think the conference championship should be played at the home field, potentially neutral stadium, of whichever team won and represented the conference in the Super Bowl the previous year. So, for example, this year's AFC championship would be at the Bengals stadium. And... I think the Super Bowl should be played at the stadium of whoever won the prior year's Super Bowl. That way, these cities get the opportunity to reap the financial benefits of these events, and the Pro Bowl should be played at the stadium of the Super Bowl losing team of the previous year. So, first of all, they've basically killed the Pro Bowl at this point. Well, it's it's a flag football game it, with Peyton and Eli coaching, which, and yeah. it's to me, it's it's pointless because it was pointless before. It's pointless when they padded up and played. Yeah, it's to me, I, I don't need. Other than it's another something else to put on TV that promotes the NFL, to me the Pro Bowl is worthless. Yeah, it, it has no value anymore, in my opinion, and it hasn't had value in a very long time. To this texture, which I appreciate, you put a lot of time into this. Well, right now what they do is, I mean, they bid for Super Bowls years and years in advance, right? And that's not going to change. And they're they're not all these things you suggested. I think cool ideas. They'll never do them. Because they don't make money. It's about making money. And it's about you want you want multiple cities bidding on hosting a conference championship game. You want you want Vegas throwing their hat in the ring to host the AFC championship game. You want that. And you're not going to get that under this scenario. And and so it's it's going to at some point, don't know when it's going to be. Owners have to approve it first. Twenty four to thirty two have to approve it. But if they're sold the value of of this, and hey, but you know, look, your team, maybe the number one seed, and you don't get to host in the conference championship game, you, you're gonna have to learn to be okay with that because of the potential revenue. Otherwise, right? I said, don't be surprised that you're you're going to see this happen in the next couple of years. Owners have been against it for years. This year, because of what happened with the Bills and the Bengals, afforded the opportunity. Unfortunately, for them to give this a little test market while the game's not going to be played in Atlanta, they saw what the demand was, and it was through the roof. 
So don't be surprised when it happens. Uh, for Broncos, Sarge, a phone appearance and now a text appearance. Broncos better not let Sean Payton out of the building on Wednesday. And with the gif of no Denver Broncos fan shall wish any divisional rival team any Super Bowl success from Mr. B. I'm not I'm not wishing the Chiefs success. No. No, no I'm not. Sorry. Not. All right. So we had a busy high school sports weekend. Lead things off with uh, boys basketball. Fruitland Monument boys basketball team won their 13th game of the season with their 73-25 to win at Battle Mountain Saturday. Wildcats forward Daniel Thomason led the way with 17 points. He also had a three-pointer as Fruita improves to 13-1. and Jet Wells added two three-pointers and 12 points to the Wildcats. Fruita plays on Montrose tomorrow night. And Wildcats head coach Jake Aguirre says they're ready for the challenge. We've seen a few of their games, and we understand what, what they have. And, and like I said, man, Bo does such a great job with his guys. There's a reason why the program is where it's at. It's a reason why the program is does well every year is because he gets his guys play right for him. You can hear that game on the monkey with girls pregame at 545 and the boys tipping it off at 730. You can hear the game at 95.7 in the Grand Valley and 93.5 in Montrose. The defending SWL champion Red Ox won at Eagle Valley 70-54. to Montrose forward Caleb Ferguson scored 19 points. The Red Ox improved to 10-2 and overall. Grand Junction lost their Southwestern League opener and falling at Durango 55-43 to on Saturday. Tigers forward Will Applegate scored 13 points with Cam Ochoa adding 9 as Grand Junction drops to 6-8 and overall, 0-1 in league. Grand Junction plays at Central tomorrow night. Santana Martinez scored 15 points, lending Central to a 65-47 win at Montezuma Cortez on Saturday. The Warriors improved to 10 and 4 overall. They're now 1 and 0 in the SWL after winning at Durango, 43-41 on Friday. Defending 5A Western Slope League champion Palisade opened league play with a 57-42 loss at Glenwood Springs Friday night. The Bulldogs' Luke Faye scored 25 points in the loss as Palisade slips to 8 and 8 overall. They're 0 and 1 in league. And the Delta Boys basketball team is 4-1 in the 4A Western Slope League after picking up a 68-64 home win from Moffat County Saturday. The Panthers are 6-7 and seven overall. And as far as girls basketball, the defending Southwestern League champion Fruit of Monument girls basketball team won their 11th game of the season with a 52-8 win at Battle Mountain Saturday. The Wildcats' Liv Campbell scored 16 points and he had three three-pointers as Fruita moves to 11-3. They play at Montrose tomorrow night on the Monkey. Elsewhere, the Montrose girls, they are 10-3 after winning at Eagle Valley 57-36 on Saturday. Montrose freshman Macy Oberg scored 19 on the win. Central drops to 1-1 in the Southwestern League after losing in Durango 45-39 on Friday night. The Warriors are 7-6 overall. They play at Grand Junction tomorrow night. The Tigers opened SWL play with a 40-21 loss to Durango. The Tigers are 0-14 overall. They're 0-1 in the SWL. Palisade girls dropped their Western Slope League opener and losing at Glenwood Springs 56-28 to Friday night. The Bulldogs' Addie Ritterbush scored 13 points with Palisade dropping to 5-11 overall. They're 0-1 in the WSL. Delta girls basketball team, they're 4-0 in the 4A Western Slope League after picking up a 65-32 home win over Moffitt County. The Panthers' Tatum Miller scored 13 points with teammates Kylie Huff and Taylor Summers each scoring 12 points apiece. Delta's now 7-5 overall. And in wrestling, the District 51 Phoenix girls wrestling team won their third straight tournament and winning their their MLK tournament at Central High School on Saturday. The Phoenix had six first place finishers and finished with 276 points to win the team title. Olathe took second in the team standings. In boys wrestling, Grand Junction finished 35th at the top of the Rockies tournament at Centaurus High School. Tigers 165 pound Dominique Jones was Grand Junction's highest placer, taking sixth. Palisade defeated Delta in their duel 58-22.
All right, and it's time now for this day in sports history. That's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. It's time to take a trip back in time. It's this day in sports history. All right, 1944, the Detroit Red Wings defeat the New York Rangers 15 to nothing at Olympia Stadium to set an NHL record for consecutive goals. The loss starts a 25-game winless streak for the Rangers, which carries over into the next season. 1959, in the NBA All-Star Game in Detroit, St. Louis's Bob Pettit and Elgin Baylor of Minneapolis become the first co-winners of the MVP award as their West team wins 124-108. 1975, Ralph Kiner is elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in his 15th and final year of eligibility. 1979, Willie Mays is named on 49 of 32 ballots and elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. And 1988, Steffi Graf wins the Australian Open with a 6-1, 7-6 win over Chris Everett. 948, we'll take a break. We'll wrap it up with some garbage time. That's coming up on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. It's a good show. Probably the best show around. The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Welcome back, 951. Jim along with Cake today from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. All right, it's time to open the lid, hop in. It's garbage time. We're taking out the trash. It's garbage time on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Oh, I love trash. All right. Remember when we were talking about, hey, Dan Quinn might bring in Brian Schottenheimer? Mm Mm-hmm. Because Schottenheimer was there when Russ had some really, really good seasons. Right. According to reports that Brian Schottenheimer, well... Russ basically was when they got him fired in Seattle. Uh oh. And that even though Russ has made comments of you know that he liked Schottenheimer, that he wanted to change in play callers. And so maybe it's not going to be Brian Schottenheimer after all. The hmm. way it's looking. Interesting. Very interesting. And so there's a, a piece out on Pro Football Talk that Daryl Bevel, who also had some really good seasons with Russ right. when they were in Seattle, that it could be Dan Quinn and Daryl Bevel that end up teaming together in Denver as head coach in OC. Assuming Sean Payton doesn't get the job. Assuming Sean Payton doesn't get the job. Certainly, th- there is the sense that it's Sean Payton... And then it's Dan Quinn, right? I mean, yes, is that's that, the feeling. That's kind of the feeling you get right now about the whole thing? Yeah. It's kind of what I get. Um, I know who the Buffalo's head coach is going to be in 2023. Coach Prime. Coach Prime. Making some moves again. We have a potential another five-star recruit on a visit in Boulder today. Nichols, Nichols Harbor. Archbishop Carroll High School in Washington, D.C. He's a five-star recruit. He's an edge rusher. And, oh, by the way, he's fast. With a uh, 60-meter win at the Under Armour, Texas Tech Under Armour High School Classic. He's a track star. He won the 60-meter at 6.64 seconds and the 200-meter at 
20.76 seconds, and he's an edge rusher. He's fast. That's pretty good. And he's a five-star recruit, and he's in Boulder today. Come on, Coach Pratt. Come on. Well, there, there's a feeling that with, with Hunter and McLean there now, that they could have the best secondary, the best corner tandem in the Pac-12 this season. Learning from only one of the best corners in the NFL. The Hall of Famer. Coach Pratt. It's going to be fun. God, I, I, so I, like I said, once again, it could it could be an absolute disaster. You know what, though? Or it could be just, regardless, it's going to be just a lot of fun. It'll be so much fun, and it'll be a lot of national exposure that I don't think Boulder's used to. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I mean, well, you look at, he was on Manning Cast, and he's, and he's been on the GMA, I believe. And I mean, he's... CBS this morning. He's been oh, on CBS like this the, morning. Yeah, not GMA, CBS this morning. I think it was on like the CBS equivalent of The View, which was the, the talk or whatever it was. And all the time, he's wearing the Buffs gear. He's he's supporting yeah. the Buffs. Yeah. It's, I'm ready. It's it's so strange to see him out there wearing Buffs gear on, on national TV programs. I'm all for it. I'm yeah. loving it. It's a great marketing tool. No doubt about it. All right, that's our show for today. We'll have Mav Day tomorrow. We'll talk college basketball with our college basketball insider, Wyatt Thompson. Plus your chance to win with Triple Play Record Stadium Cinema. Join us tomorrow morning at 7.